0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Best You Can Be Leadership Podcast, where we talk about all things leadership, wellness, as a part of wellness, we talk about nutrition, fitness, all those things. And today we have somebody who I feel like really actually brings all of those things into one, we have Mackenzie Cohen. She is a professional swimmer, public speaker, disability advocate, and author. A little bit of background on her, and I'm so excited to dive into the questions that uh, she so graciously answered for us. Um, Mackenzie, she has quite the story. She first took to the water for aqua therapy to help with what is called osteogenesis imperfecta, which means uh, it's, it's brittle bone disease. Um, So that's how she got involved with swimming. But soon after that, swimming actually became a true passion of hers. Mackenzie made her first US Paralympic national team at 15 years old, I can't even imagine that, in 2012. And she's actually been a part of Team USA every year since. She competed in the 2012 Paralympic Games in London. And in 2016, she won four medals in Rio de Janeiro, including three gold. At the 2020 Tokyo Games, she defended her title from Rio de Janeiro in the 400 meter freestyle and took second in the 100 free. If you're not familiar, those are uh, those are events in uh, swimming. She's an eight time world champion like she just has so so much two time world record holder in a couple of events and uh, she also published her first book. It's called Breaking Free Shattering Expectations and Thriving with Ambition in Pursuit of Gold. Uh, She talks a lot about how her genetic condition happened for her and not to her and how she lives an unexpectedly full, full life while performing at the top of her sport. Um, One of my favorite things, one of my favorite things that she talked about uh, in our conversation was I asked her, you know, what does excellent leadership look like to you? And she talked about, she said, it's what you can do for the person next to you and not for yourself that's going to make you successful in the end. So with that, I'm super excited for you to listen to our conversation. She is absolutely incredible. You can do that through becoming a part of this community on Instagram, my website, bestyoucanbe.com, or by subscribing and leaving helpful comments. Okay. Hi, Mackenzie. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, I am so thankful for your time today. I cannot even tell you how excited I am. I've got questions. I've got questions about you. I've got questions about your mindset and then I have some questions kind of just about how you view leadership and I'm really excited to get into them. So thank you so much. Awesome.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to kind of dive into it and that was total pun intended there. So oh my gosh, hilarious. That's that's um that is awesome. Well okay
0: so for starters I also I already showed this to you but I have your book in my
1: hands. That makes um, my heart happy like that's just it's so surreal every time I see it, it it's just surreal.
0: I'm sure. And I don't even want to know how much work went into this on your end. And it's probably just so cool to have something like concrete to kind of solidify your journey so far. Emphasis on so far, because I know you're not done yet. Um, But I, for starters, I would love to um, just ask you, would you mind introducing us to your family? Because it seems from your book, it seems like your family is definitely a really important part of your life.
1: Definitely. Um, So my family was really... I I can't put into words how much they have influenced my life, how much they've carried me through such difficult times in my life and lifted me up in really happy moments. And, you know, I really wrote that book for them. And it was a thank you to them for everything they've done for me because I can guarantee you I wouldn't be in this position now. I was blessed with really incredible parents my mom, Teresa, and my father, Mark. They have been such. A light in my life. And I know that everybody Mm. says that about their parents. And I start to get emotional just because I think back to what it must have been like sitting in that room when I was 19 days old and to be told, um, you know, of all the worst case scenarios with the condition that I had. And I can't imagine the strength that it took to decide to walk our own path and not listen to people when they told us that there was no hope. Mm. And, you know, throughout my life, I've certainly had a lot of obstacles and in every single scenario and every single hardship that I faced, my mom and dad have always been right there to guide me through it. And then in those happy moments, whether it be metal moments or milestones in my life that I finally reached that people told me I would never, ever, I could never even attempt to reach these milestones. Mm -hmm. It's just incredible. And even past all of that and dealing with my condition, I think my parents are just everyday superheroes. Anyway, my mom, she's a respiratory therapist and she's also a swim coach now. So when we got into swimming, she kind of took over like a coaching role and she just fell in love with it. So when I go home to this day, she owns her own swim team. I get to go home and meet all the kids that she coaches and all the parents and all the lives that she touches in that way. And it is just so rewarding to see her so happy doing something that she really, truly loves. And my dad, he's actually an internal medicine doctor. And I I have never seen someone work so hard in my entire life. I really think watching him and, you know, obviously it takes a lot to become a doctor and um, to do that day in and day out. He does a lot of hospice work now, so he still works in his clinic, but he has a real passion for hospice care. And he's actually the director of a hospice care company. And I asked him one day, I was like, what is that like taking care of people in hospice? Because, you know, I think you imagine it to be such a sad thing and such a difficult thing. But his answer, he told me, it, it gives people hope. And in their final days or months, years, however long they're on it he gets to see their families and gets to give them comfort. And I mean, that just touched my heart. So I have learned so much from the two of them. And then I'm also very blessed to have two brothers. I'm the middle child. So I have an older brother. His name is Grant. And he actually just finished up med school. So I think he's actually in his second year residency now, which is wild to think think about. It's it's crazy. And um, he's going internal medicine, just like my dad did. And, you know, he has the same kind of work ethic as my father. I've, I've never, I, I, I aspire to be that level of like work ethic that they have. That's, that's inspired me for a long time. And then my younger brother, Eli, I talk a lot about our relationship in my book. Like that's probably um, one of the more in-depth ones because Eli and I are kind of like the same person. We always say like, we should have been twins. We're just born two years apart. Um, but he was literally like my built in best friend growing up and he has such a spirit about him and he doesn't care what other people think. You know, he's going to go to the beat of his own drum and pursue his dreams. And I've gotten to watch him grow up to be a very, very good young man. He graduated from UNC with honors. He was the captain of the swim team there. He went to ACC's and NCAA's and Olympic trials. Very hard worker. Um, so I've just, I've really been blessed with a tremendous family who have certainly been through a lot with the condition that I have and the fact that they, have you know, stuck by my side. I mean, you can't ask for any more than that. I, I am very lucky. I love them a lot. That's amazing. I know they feel the
0: same about you. I know they love <laughs> you too. That's incredible. Um, there's one other thing that I would love for you to introduce us to, um And obviously, it's something very familiar to you. But I actually don't know. I knew. I don't think I knew too much about your condition until, you know, your book really showed a little glimpse of. Right. I think what it's like to live with OI. So that's osteogenesis imperfecta. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But yes, um, that's perfect. Okay, <laughs> perfect. I'm just wondering. You know what? Can you share with us what that is, and sort of like, you know, how your parents um, were able to find out that you have it, and A little bit of about that, I
1: guess. Yes, absolutely. So, osteogenesis imperfecta is a really long, complicated mixture of words. Uh, Extra kudos to you for pronouncing it correctly because (laughs) it's like a mouthful for me. Sometimes I do a lot of public speaking. I've been on stage before, and it just comes out completely, and I have to like backtrack. And I'm like, okay, let me try this again slowly. (laughs) Um, But it basically just means that I have brittle bones that often break for little to no reason at all. In my lifetime, this will forever be my greatest, um, disappointment. Probably I didn't keep track of all the fractures <laughs> along the way. Um, though it would have been impossible as I've gotten older and developed a really high pain tolerance. Um, we estimate somewhere between a hundred, maybe 200 bones I broke in in my lifetime. And, you know, it's a condition that. I live with it every single day, but sometimes you forget you have it until mm-hmm. something really bad happens. And and that's kind of the hard thing with OI. But I've had it my entire life. I was diagnosed with it at 19 days old. Um, but in those first 19 days of my life, quite a bit happened. When I was born, I actually already had a broken femur. So I had my first fracture before I even came into the world. Um and they knew it right away when uh, on June 14th, when I was born, that I had a broken femur, but they chalked it up to be OK, a really rare like the umbilical cord got la- wrapped around her leg and with a lot of force, it snapped the bone. But you know what? We're not going to worry about it. We're going to we're going to move forward. So they didn't do any further testing right after I was born. I was allowed to go home with my parents a couple days later. And in the middle of the night, one night, my mom was burping me. And she heard this horrific snap. It sounded like a chicken bone snapping. And it she had broken my arm because unknowingly I had a Y. So they took me to the hospital. And the really sad thing about people who have osteogenesis imperfecta, and, and when you don't know when they're really little especially people kind of ask a lot of questions that they assume it might be some sort of child abuse or something like that. And that's the really terrifying thing. It It happens all the time. Oh, wow. And even when you have a diagnosis and things, if you're in an area that you're not familiar with or a hospital you're not familiar with and you bring a child in who has something like a horrific femur fracture or something, or there have been times I've had one fracture, I've come in with another like a month later, you know, it happens. Um, and so those questions are incredibly scary for parents to get. Like, can you imagine that situation? Mm-hmm. So they brought me in, asked the questions. Did you drop this baby? What's going on? This seems very odd. You know, she already has a broken femur. Now she has a broken arm. It doesn't look so good. So I stayed in the hospital and they started running a uh, genetic test. And they took a skin biopsy from me. I have it on my left arm. I always, I refer to it as my mutant mark. I don't know when that started, but they took a skin biopsy from me. And from that just little patch of skin, they were able to tell my parents, 19 days old, that I had osteogenesis imperfecta. And along with OI comes a bunch of kind of accompanying problems. So I have pretty severe scoliosis, And then I have osteoporosis and not everybody has this, but I do. It's called dentogenesis imperfecta, which basically means just because you have a Y doesn't mean you're going to have this. But I hit the double whammy. So I have that, which means my teeth are really brittle and can break from time to time. Um, So all of that said, it definitely has presented some daily challenges. But I think the really interesting thing about it is that I was born with this. I don't know any other way of life. So what a lot of people assume would be a hard thing to adapt to, like I'm constantly, I spend my days um, and I don't even notice it because it's just how I am. I spend my days scanning the floor when I walk. It's not trip over something. I scan the floor. Wet floors are public enemy. Number one, they are the scariest thing ever because you think about your foot just catching wrong and you slipping. That's terrifying for me. Um, So I think it's just little things like that, that probably a person without OI wouldn't even think twice about um, Mm -hmm. that I constantly have to worry about. But that's that's life for me. So with a lot of those hard lessons, I've definitely learned some hard ones along the way. I've learned how to live my life safely with OI, as safely as I can.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, that's incredible. I actually have a question about the worrying about slipping on floors. Yes. Um, that I hope we get to at some point, but I want to ask you first, um, you talk a lot about how o I happened for you and not to you, yes. how it yes. happened for you and not to you, which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. uh, I think that is just the most admirable perspective, but I also think it at least it seems to me like it seems like it would be really hard to think that way, considering its limitations. um so I really want to just ask you, like how do you avoid falling into? kind of a victim mindset and feeling defeated on a day-to-day basis or focusing on, you know, what you can't do instead of what you can. How do you navigate that?
1: Yes, I love this question because one of the things when I wrote my book Breaking Free that I wanted to kind of tell everyone is that perspective is really important, but I want people to know it took me a really long way to get there. Mm-hmm. And Also, one of the things that I think it's really important, especially in this day and age, to be open and honest, I have my really, really bad days, too. Mm -hmm. So I think for parts of my childhood and, you know, growing up different is not easy. It's not easy to be the kid. And, you know, I loved my pink and purple wheelchairs, but it's not always easy to be the only kid on a pool deck in your purple wheelchair. It's not easy to be the only kid at school who has to do things a little bit differently or who can't go on the playground at recess and who has to play differently and things like that.
0: It's not Mm -hmm. always
1: easy. Um, And I think swimming was probably one of the main things that kind of helped to shift my perspective because Paralympic sport really gave me a playground where I could absolutely excel. I could be larger than life and I could do something. I was really, from a young age, I I thought to myself, and this is not to be like overly confident, but I was like, I think I'm really good at this. And I think if I work really hard, I can really be somebody. So I think I actually found my confidence in the water. It was probably the first and one of the only places that I felt truly, truly free in my life. And when bad things would happen, it would be difficult. Let's say, you know, I remember this one instance, I was eight years old and, um, I was walking in my house with socks on and my mom had told me multiple times not to and being stubborn and eight years old, Mm I (laughs) didn't. And so I fell, I like did the splits and I had like a pretty bad um, pelvic fracture. Um, And I had to learn how to handle that with swimming. I had to get back in the water. But what I found at the end of, you know, handling that, I feel like there's always, this probably sounds weird. When a fracture happens, there's always a day one to it which is really horrific and going in for x-rays and figuring out what's wrong. And then there's an end day to it. And I can mm-hmm. always feel when that end date is like there, like, okay, I'm at the end of this like trial or obstacle and I'm, I'm out of that. And I know that probably sounds so weird, but I've been through the process so many times. And I'll never forget when I got through that particular fracture, you know, I got back in the water a couple of days after, but I felt so much stronger than I did before. I felt like I had overcome this really. And, you know, to be eight years old, to have, I didn't understand it at the time, but to have kind of like this revelation about my life that in some weird way, I couldn't articulate it because I was so little. I felt better at the end of that than I did before. I think it made me stronger that I still went to practice and swam with other kids and I had a broken pelvis. They didn't. And I found a way to get through it and keep doing what I loved. So With my OI, there have definitely been some hard times every time a fracture happens. And I still do this to this day. And I'm 26 years old. My parents took me 48 hours to feel however I needed to feel about it, you know. And I think back to that. I didn't want to be angry at the world. I didn't want to feel like I kind of been dealt some bad cards in life. I didn't want to feel that way. But I knew in order to get through it, I needed to feel that way. So my parents would give me 48 hours. I could be sad about it. I could be angry about it. But you have 48 hours. And then after that, we have to learn how to keep moving forward, to move on from it. Okay, like this has happened. Yes, let's accept it. And let's figure out how do we handle each day until we get to the finish line of this one and things look normal again. Um, But I can seriously say it's taken a lot of trial. It's taken a lot of error. It's taken a lot of really difficult times. I think some of the most difficult have come in my college years, just trying to be independent and have my own life and have something happen where I'm extremely grateful that my parents would come out and help me out. You know, I, I I acknowledge that and I truly couldn't do this without them. But it was hard to have something happen, and then my mom would come out and bless her soul for doing that. Like I know she's got a lot of life going on, but I had have to like learn how to navigate that and learn how to move forward. And then it kind of stopped me from living that part of my normal adult life for a minute. And that was really difficult. So I think in my adult life, there's definitely been some moments where I'm like, gosh, like, of course, I understand this more. But man, this is I feel like God's given me a little bit more than I can handle right now. So I've always looked for the why in it. And why am I going to be better on the other side? So Mm -hmm. even though it's difficult and I had my really bad days, I feel like having that sort of perspective, even when I'm at my angriest or even when I'm at my, I feel like I'm at my woods end with this, I have to think about how it can make me better on the other side of this. Um, Because I think that's how you get through life. And my hard thing is a why, but somebody else's hard thing is something totally different. So we all have that. So even though this is my perspective on my disability, I think that anybody could use this. To get through Mm -hmm. anything that they're facing, you'll always be better on the other side of a struggle.
0: It just might take Mm -hmm. a
1: minute to get there.
0: I do believe that wholeheartedly. Um, I really like what you shared about how your parents would give you 48 hours to actually feel the feelings. Because I mean, I know everybody's different, but I think for most of us, it's feelings are there for a reason and it's important to acknowledge them. Mm-hmm. Instead of just like stuff it away because at least I if I do that, it just like explodes. So I really like that. And that lets you feel it, but then it also gives you like a okay, time to move on, time to figure out like where I'm gonna go. Um, so I feel like that's like kind of the best of both worlds. And then I also really appreciated what you said about um looking for the why in it. Mm-hmm. Like like looking for okay, like what like how is this gonna make me better? Like where can we go from here? How can I leverage this, you know, maybe negativity for positivity? Right. Um I think that's really, I I don't know. I really like that. Also, I apologize. I picked up your book and I was like, here, look at this. But obviously you're the only one who can see this. (laughs) Um, For everybody listening who can't see us right now, um, Mackenzie's book is great. I am literally holding it right now. But for those of you who can't see, it's linked in the show notes and it's called Breaking Free, Shattering Expectations and Thriving with Ambition in Pursuit of Gold. I love that title. I love the subtitle. I meant to share that. Sorry.
1: No, don't worry. Thank you. That gave me chills. (laughs) I'm sure.
0: I'm (laughs) sure it's probably just so surreal. Um, Speaking of which, in your book, you actually and you actually just touched on this a little bit, like with, you know, the transition into college. In your book, you actually talked about um, coming home from Rio and getting back into classes. And I really liked that part because I found it extremely relatable. Mm-hmm. Um you were, you know, you were coming back from Rio, the Rio Games and you were behind in classes, you had a ton to make up. You were emerging from this super demanding season in terms of just the amount on your plate mm-hmm. and how disciplined you needed to be. And then you mentioned even I don't want to put words in your mouth or words in your, you know, your book, but um you mentioned even struggling with a little bit of resentment of your peers who had like these relaxed and carefree college lifestyles and then you know that was something I just picked up on, especially because I feel like for any high any high achiever, that mm-hmm. can actually be really relatable. Because you're over here, you're you know you're pounding the pavement, but then you're seeing other people who are just kind of chilling out. Um, and I think for many of us, myself included, I think it can be actually hard to get out of that mindset of looking to the left and to the right and thinking, well, how how come my plate is so full? Um, So I wanted to just ask you, you know, how did you get out of that mental rut and what perspective shift did you lean on?
1: Yes. So when I came back from Rio and I really love talking about this because I think this particular subject in my life, like, yes, all the OI stuff, but this part really is just about life in general, I feel like. And this could go for anyone could find the relatability in this. I came back from Rio after winning, you know, three gold medals and a silver, like the height of my life. I thought that was the end all be all. For some reason, I truly felt deep down and I didn't even realize this before I went and I did what I did just because, like you said, I was in such a mind space where I had to be so incredibly focused every day and throughout every single minute of each day I was like a robot that entire year going into those games and, you know, the years before, obviously, but for the eight, nine months of that year going into those games in 2016, I was such a robot. I was so committed and I wanted to be, obviously, that's what I wanted. Like I knew it was going to take that to achieve what I dreamed of my entire life. So when I finally did it, I think I had it in my mind Okay. You have won these gold medals. Like that was one of your life's biggest goals and everything is just going to be so hunky dory. Now you're going to go back to school and your life is going to be sheer happiness forever. And let me tell you to everyone listening, your biggest dreams, like for me, one of those was winning, you know, a gold medal. And that was really cool and everything. But it is not going to somehow achieving. It's amazing, but it's not going to somehow like transform your whole entire life and make you the happiest person forever. Happiness mm-hmm. is truly something that has to come from you and yourself. It's not in an idol. It's not in an achievement. And I really had to learn that when I came back. So, you know, I'm coming back to school a month into classes. I'd done... As much as I could have before I left for Rio ahead of time. I remember I spent the entire summer talking to professors and literally begging them to give me assignments ahead of time. And they were so nice and accommodating. Um, but I'm still, you know, I'm coming back to classes without a month's worth of material. I'd probably forgotten half the things I learned before I left. And I mean, still kudos to those professors. I probably bugged them so much. Oh my gosh. Um, but, you know, I was coming back to what I essentially thought, like, I'm just going to go back into it. Here I go again. I'm going back to the grind. I have a very like type A personality. So I love the grind. I'm not going to do something halfway. So, you know, I'm exhausted. I'm coming back to classes and I see all my classmates and my friends and I love them all. But when I came back, it almost felt like this huge disconnect. I had been through one of the most incredible experiences in my entire life. The high that comes along with going to games and then you put on winning a medal on top of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever be able to explain it or give it the appropriate wording to describe what that's like. So mm-hmm. can you imagine coming from that high down to kind of not a low, but just like a normal level. And you are so confused. I remember I was like, I felt almost guilty because I had this resentment towards everyone around me. I had this resentment towards swimming, school, just life in general. And I didn't know what was wrong. Like, I just felt so guilty for feeling that way. And I think that was probably the hardest part to deal with. Um, But I really realized I came back and I had to do a lot of work on myself. I had to take like two weeks out of the water when I got back, which is completely unheard of for me. But I was just so drowning in schoolwork. And I went to my coach at the school, Brian Loeffler, and he's amazing. Like Brian is like my second father. He is such an incredible person. I told him, I am so overwhelmed. I am so stressed out. My mind is in a million different directions and I don't feel right. I need to just take some time. So he gave me two weeks. Um, I would come in and swim whenever I wanted to just for a little while alone. And I think that was really healing for me just to go swim, swim, not go swim to do some crazy workout and Mm -hmm. almost die. So I think that was really good for me, but it really hit me in that self-work that I had to do after. I realized that I had little to no balance in my life. And I can put in as much work as I want to. I want everybody to listen to that. You can put in as much work as you want to. You can put in more hours than anyone else. I don't care what you're doing, studying, work, like whatever it may be. But unless you have a social life, unless you have some sort of outlet that is not um, pertaining to your job, your work, your sport, you are going to burn out. And I don't say that to scare someone. I say that because I have been there. I was so burnt out with life. So my number one goal after Rio was to have a balance that I just simply had put on the back burner. Like, yes, I had friends. Did I see them more than once every couple months? No, I did not. Did I spend my weekends inside of a study hall after swim meets and practice? Yes, I did. I had no outlet outside of what I was doing and it was not healthy. So I think um, in a lot of work around my mental health, sports psychology and other things like that, I determined that taking time away from what I'm doing, whether it's hanging out with friends or doing something like a hobby outside of it is part of my success. Mm-hmm. Like I had to have that or I'm i am not even kidding. I probably would have walked away from swimming. No joke. Like I had to find that happiness. So to everyone out there, you have to have a balance. It is necessary to the success of what you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. I think that's, so it's sometimes counterintuitive because you're like, wait a second. I don't know no, if I want to get better. I need to do more and more and more and more of this one thing. But like our brain also, like there's a reason I think why we have the creative part of our brain and then we have yes. the like logical part of it. And it's so important to exercise all the different aspects. Um, So that is excellent advice, uh, especially how you can, you know, from you, I think that carries some major weight because you've gotten the gold. Like
1: you've
0: <laughs> been at the, you've been at the, at the peak of that kind of like your, uh, I guess like living
1: proof. I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. You have the credibility to say what you just said. That's what I mean. <laughs> Thank you. I definitely, yeah. but I like what you just said there. I definitely was that person. I was like, why in the world would I take a break when I need to just put in more hours? That was yeah. me to a T. So I, I love that you said that. Cause that was literally me.
0: No, This is me too, so you're actually like <laughs> you're, you're preaching to me too. <laughs> I feel like it's so funny for me having this podcast. I am just constantly being humbled in like the most grace filled way, but I'm constantly like pointing every possible finger right back at me. Like I am being refined <laughs> just as much as everybody else. Um, actually, speaking of leadership, mm-hmm. um, another one, another one of the questions that I wanted to ask you super just personal up to you question. I wanted to ask, what does leadership look like to you? Because it sounds like you've had a lot of really great leaders along the way. You just talked about how amazing your college coach was to like give you those two weeks. And then of course your parents and your siblings. Um, So what is good or excellent leadership look like to you?
1: I love this because, okay, I am on my 11th year being on the national team for swimming. And so I started on this team. I made my first national team when I was six or 15, and it was right before the London 2012 games. And I was terrified. London was actually like my first big international meet, which was crazy to think about. Um, And the leadership I have seen as part of this program, you know, we have had team captains that are gold medalists, world record holders. And besides being all that and more in the pool, they're excellent people to lead Team USA into worlds and games and things like this. And the wisdom that they have and that they have taught me has just been invaluable to me. Um, And I've certainly used it. I feel like I've taken everything I've learned on the national team and I brought it into every single aspect of my life to try to not only be a better version of myself, but hopefully teach others something while I continue to learn from them. And Mm -hmm. I think that in a nutshell might be one of the most important things I've learned as a leader. To be honest with you, I was um, back in 2021. I can't believe, I mean, I know we're new into 2023, but I'm saying it like back in 2021 in Tokyo, (laughs) um, I had the honor to serve as one of our team captains at the Tokyo games. And I'll, I'll never forget being named one of them. I, I truly couldn't believe it. And it almost makes me emotional because everything makes me emotional these days. I mean, just looking back at my, cr- I've never had the time to really do that in these last few years. I've really tried to, um, especially the older I get on the national team. And, um, I think back to my very first games and I look at cap at the captains on that trip. And I mean, they just like hung the stars for me. I couldn't even believe I was just in their presence. So For little old me to be one of those captains and to have that respect of my peers on the team, it really touched me. But I have learned so much. And when you travel with Team USA, this is one of the coolest things I've learned from the leadership. You are traveling as a unit you succeed and you fail as one. And I think that that's one of the most interesting things. I think you look at the team and you can say, oh, these are, you know, based off of results or rankings, you know, these are strong people and these are the people who have a lot of work to get there. That's not true. Everyone on the team brings something to the plate and it goes so far beyond um, rankings, records, medals. Um, Some of the strongest people on the team Some of them might not have any medals or records at all, but what they contribute is just incredible. It's what you can do for the person next to you, not for yourself, that's going to make you successful in the end. Um, So I think it's been really amazing to be able to serve in that role. And I constantly, every team trip that we take, I learn something from my teammates that I can take and be better the next time. I think one of the coolest things was being able to take what I learned as a member of team USA and take it back to my college team and vice versa. Like all the different, I don't know, leadership styles and opinions. I feel like it's formed kind of like my own little system in my head of what leadership looks like and what I hope I can do for my peers. So to serve in that capacity was seriously an honor. It's something that I was probably more proud of than anything else that I did at those games, but just to be in that position. After all that I've learned is amazing, but you truly do not succeed as one, you succeed as a unit. And I think that's the most important thing that I've learned. You have to constantly be looking out for the person next to you. And it's about what you can do for somebody else that'll make the Mm -hmm. difference. And it doesn't take, you know, the title of a captain to be a leader. I think that's what I learned all those years before that happened for me. It wasn't about the title, it was about, you know, being able to be in a position to hopefully make a difference for the person next to me. And I, I did learn that I had been doing that, hopefully been doing that or trying to for many years. So I just, I thought that was the coolest thing.
0: What an awesome answer. I, I really like that. I actually wrote down one of the things you said, cause I loved it so much. You said, <laughs> um, you said everyone brings something. When you were talking about how everyone on the team brings something to the plate, um, you said it's what you can do for the person next to you and not for yourself that's going to make you successful in the end and I really, really liked that.
1: thank you. I definitely have i I feel like that almost should have been our motto in Tokyo in twenty twenty one I look back on those games. I mean, what a weird time in all of our lives. what a weird, very sad thing for the world to have to go through and those games were unlike any other I mean it was just such a difficult situation, not having our family there at games was really hard. And, you know, I'm looking around one of the captains and we have, you know, 16, 17 year olds on this trip who don't have their parents in the stands. Heck, mm-hmm. I think that's a London in 2012 when I was 16. Do you think I, I, I'm not sure how I would have handled not having my parents there. So I tried mm-hmm. to put myself in their shoes, but I think that's what it takes to succeed. You have to be able to help each other and put yourselves in, in their situations to, yeah. to hopefully do something good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's another good point. Uh, the, the one about putting yourself in someone else's situation, I think those are both just really key, um, invaluable traits that can make such a, such an impact that oftentimes you don't even see, mm-hmm. uh, like right. you don't necessarily see the fruit of your labor, you know, trying to lead other people well, but uh, I think those are both the types of things that can really make an impact kind of on the heart level, which I, think is so important and really care about. Um, but I really like that. Uh I wanted to circle back because I said I would about how like a a wet, slippery, freshly mopped floor is like your worst nightmare. Yes. Um and I wanted to ask you, because I'm assuming I think in your book you also mentioned like crowds of people and just like other things that like I wouldn't necessarily think about. I mean, yes, do I want to slip and fall? No, but obviously it affects you much right. more. Um, and I wanted to just ask, you know, how do you live your life normally and not in a paranoid state mm-hmm. all the time with all those things in your surrounding environments? Like how do you avoid the temptation to worry about every little thing that could possibly go wrong and just
1: be able to like live your live your life? Yes. Let me tell you, it's taken me a long time. I actually truly believe this. having a condition like oh is it's just so unpredictable and sometimes I, I really mean this i feel like it comes down to luck sometimes like there's plenty of times i probably should have and like knock on wood i hate saying it like this but there's no other way to say it probably should have fallen or gotten hurt or something because i wasn't paying attention or i was doing something i could fall nine times and like get up nine times out of ten but on that tenth time it might not be the time that i can just get up and be okay Um, And it's taken me a long time to learn how to not live with such constant fear and anxiety. And this is probably the most cliche, cliche thing I'll say all day. But I truly have had to learn that everything happens for a reason. And I know that might sound maybe dramatic with just taking a fall or something. Um, But truly, everything happens for a reason. And you can only be so careful. So nowadays, I feel like probably... High school, early college, just with the amount of fractures and things I experienced was like the heights of my worrying and anxiety. But I, I feel like in those years, I learned that that is not a way to live. I can't wake yeah. up every single day wondering if, you know, and living with what I have. Am I, again, knock on wood, but am I going to fracture today? I can't live like that. That's not living. That's just being in fear. Um, so with some of the hard lessons that I've learned, you know, everything happens for a reason. And that might be kind of hard to swallow sometimes, but that's life. So when I do approach, like I live in an apartment building and I went downstairs this morning to grab a package from our package room. And I noticed when I stepped off the elevator, it's kind of like this marble slippery, slippery floor surface. And it had the wet floor signs out. So I like took my deep breath and I said, okay, I'm just going to be extra careful here and just walk along the wall. And I know there's things I can grab if I start to slip or something, but I'm just going to take my time here. And it has stressed me out in the past. And I know this is not something that people would think about, but people trying to get around me walking really quickly will stress me out. People um, crowding the hallway where I can't walk against the wall or they have to move out of the way is going to stress me out. So I feel like I have to kind of get into my zone even walking down the hallway sometimes when it is slick or I see something in the middle of the floor where it's almost like a very hyper-focused state. But I also know there's a comfort in that because I'm being as careful as I possibly can be. The interesting thing about OI is that as you get older, and this probably isn't that surprising because it makes total sense really, You, as you get older, you tend to fracture less, but that's because you're being so hyper-vigilant And you know the things to look out for when you're younger, which is the craziest thing. And when you're younger, you don't know to do that. I didn't know when I was eight years old, like how much, you know, sock surfing on the hardwood floor could result (laughs) in something so bad, like an injury like that. I certainly know that at 26 now not to do that. Um, but just to look out for common everyday things, I look down when I walk. So I'm not looking up. I'm constantly scanning the floor because I know the majority of my fractures have come from me not looking down and making sure I know exactly what's in front of my next step. Mm -hmm. I've gotten a lot better at that. I know, um, I feel for things now. If I'm uncertain about a step, I'll take a toe first kind of approach to it. So I'll slow down and I'll go toe first to kind of, okay, is it slick? What's like, you know, on sidewalks, how it sometimes has like different grades where it just kind of goes up for a second or something. Mm-hmm. Well, like putting your foot into that and walking into that could cause a broken foot for me. So I'm mm-hmm. constantly paying attention. Is it flat? Is it going up? Is it going down? Um, cause you don't want to do anything jarring and then have to stop yourself because yeah. the force from that for someone with a could cause a fracture. Mm-hmm. Um So I would say there definitely has been anxiety and worrying, and I'm not like I definitely still have that now, but I feel like there's a lot of comfort that I found in the fact that I know a lot more now than I did before. I know what to look for, and I know that I'm being as careful as I can be the majority of the time, but you certainly have my moments where I might get distracted, but I try to stay very focused. Here's another interesting thing. I can't have conversations when I'm walking. I found that that kind of affects wow. my focus. Like I can, I can talk a little bit, but then I'm like, I'll be walking with my boyfriend or something and he'll be talking and I'll just like stop responding and it'll go over it'll be like, oh, oh, sorry. I'm like, oh no, it's okay. I'm just trying to, like, I can't tell, like we'll be walking in the dark on a street or something. I'm like, I can't tell what this is. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, lots of trial and error. I feel like, oh, why. <laughs> it's just like a lot of trial and error throughout your life, but right. the age comes wisdom. Maybe that's right. what it is. <laughs>
0: Well, no, I mean, I, I like how you pointed out, um, you, you know, and I appreciate your honesty too, with saying that, you know, you haven't been perfect and you have had to work at all of this and it has taken time to kind of develop these, uh, pretty healthy mindsets and perspectives on everything. But I like how you pointed out that, um, you know, if you were like, you have two options, either you worry about it every single day. Or you take the approach you are and the worrying about it every single day. And you pointed out how that's, that's not living. That's just living in fear. It's Um, exhausting. Yeah, that would be exhausting. But I think a lot of us do that. I mean, it makes me think of uh, even just like how constant the news cycle is right now and social media. I think a lot of people are living in in fear of, oh, well, am I going to go somewhere and something bad is going to happen? Or um, I don't know whatever, I mean, I feel like it could be any number of things. So I find that extremely, Definitely. extremely relatable uh for a number of of different factors. But I agree with you, you have two options. And and it's, I mean, it's so funny, because I can talk about it in a very compartmentalized, like logical way right now. But I'm also so guilty of this. I am a worrier, through and through. And I constantly, like my husband constantly has to be like, okay, like, let's Take a deep breath. Let's look at this. Let's surrender this to the Lord and let's move on.
1: (laughs) Exactly. That I got to tell you by nature, that is me. That's just kind of how the McKenzie operates. And like finding this has definitely like seeped into other parts of my life, even like with school before I take an exam. I, my sports psychologist told me one time, they told me that I was a catastrophic thinker. And I think about that sometimes because I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much right. So, you know, having these like techniques to kind of combat that has been really helpful. Um, But another thing with the slippery surface, if it's a rainy day or in the middle of winter, you know, I live in Maryland. So it's like not, too bad obviously but definitely have our cold days with some ice mm-hmm. those are probably like the most anxiety inducing for me so that's probably the days where I have to like do the self-talk and like focus the most but okay. I I'm right with you there I catastrophic thinker right here so I have that's to answer what ifs too so that is a funny label but it's
0: also <laughs> a little bit too accurate and like <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Um, I'll never forget that. They told me that. <laughs> wow. That is crazy. Um, I think I just have one last question, which is unfortunate because I think I could honestly think of another like 20 that I would love to ask you. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to wrap up with this one last one. And I just want to ask you, Mackenzie. Yes. If you could say just one thing mm-hmm. to the young woman who is maybe feeling really deep down, like she is not reaching her full potential in whatever it is she's trying to pursue. She's just, she just knows she's
1: not reaching her full potential in it. What would you say to her? Honestly, and I, I want to say this. I love this question because I feel like I have faced, I still face to this day, that same thing myself. And I'm constantly reminding myself, I am who I'm supposed to be and I am enough. And I think that that's been a common theme in my life. I am enough, though I will keep striving to get to where I want to go. I am enough and I am doing enough right now. And I think that's something that women in our society, like females especially, like we're constantly pulled in so many different directions that I almost feel like we always that this is me, especially there's always one part of my life I could be doing better in or even I've stopped using the I've tried to stop using the word failure, but just for sake of explaining here. I feel like I'm always failing in one part of my life and I've, I've had to regroup so many times, but know that you are enough. What you are doing is enough. You are enough for the people around you and times will get tough. I remind myself of this all the time. Times will get tough, but there is absolutely nothing that you can't overcome and reach success at the end. There is nothing. All it takes is the power of your mind and your heart. People can say whatever they want on the outside, but you are truly the only one who knows your heart, your determination, and what you bring to the table. So never, ever let anybody dull your light because you are more than enough just the way that you are. And I truly wish, when I think back to when I was younger... I wish that I had heard that more often, but I know that it comes from myself. So I would just say to them, never forget that within yourself, because you are truly the only voice that matters is your own when it comes to what you are facing or dealing with or striving to achieve.
0: That is great. I'm not even going to try and add to it because that was like, (laughs) that was like perfect. Um. Well, gosh, Mackenzie, thank you so much for your time. I am just so grateful to be able to get like the tiniest little snippet of your perspective and share it uh, as much as possible. I am so grateful (laughs) that we got to met. I feel got to meet. Um, I feel like I've honestly been chatting with like an old friend. You're extremely amiable. Uh, (laughs) So thank you so much for your time.
1: Yes, no, thank you. I feel like we could keep going for hours. I've just had the best time today. And I, I wanted to add one more thing, if that's okay. Go for but it. But I, I just feel like I always like to spread this. Um, Everyone out there, just be kind to other people, because I feel like we're living in such a difficult time sometimes mm-hmm. that we forget that everybody's going through something different. I know sometimes if you look at me, you wouldn't know I have a fracture or I'm dealing with something really difficult. So I know it's kind of cliche, just be kind to everyone. I feel like that helps people get through life. So um, thank you so much for having me today. Yep, good advice. Thank you, Mackenzie.